Welcome to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez, and this is the eighth installment of season four, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Specifically, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, sell all of your possessions. And to help me address this hard saying, I am joined by my faithful friend, Adam Terrazas. How are you, bro? Good. And you pronounced that perfectly. <laughs> I I hope so. I hope yeah. so, because I'm a Spanish teacher, so I hope it, <laughs> you I got hope it. it worked out well. All right, man. I got I to gotta start with the story. I'm going to share my perspective. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. So some of you may or may not know, but before I became a Spanish teacher at Hillcrest, I drove for Amazon. And if you've ever driven for driven for Amazon, you know that some of the some of the the things that you avoid or try to avoid the most is busy streets, busy intersections, and places like Seven <laughs> Eleven, because usually there's homeless people by there, and there's nowhere to park. And obviously, like depending on on what type of vehicle you're driving for Amazon, it can be super easy or incredibly difficult. And so for me, I really despise the busy intersections. Um, and there's this one 7-Eleven in Sherman Oaks that I really despise because it's busy. People don't care. Uh, there's several bus stops. And so there's really no, no parking. And then the shopping center parking lots are just crammed and they're hard to get out of, hard to get into. It's very inconvenient. And so if you've also been driving for Amazon, you know that depending on what what uh, what company you're working for or driving for, they have you do what's called a rescue. And so everyone is allotted their own route. And if you finish before the end of your shift, you're sent on a rescue, hmm. right? Usually the, quick, the, the quickest employees end up having to do a few rescues. And so what this means is what this means is you finish your route and then they tell you to go rescue somebody and you help them out with like the last anywhere between like 20 to 50 packages. Uh, And so they, I finished mine and then they sent me to, to this Seven Eleven in Sherman Oaks in one of the most busiest intersections uh, in the area. And I, I was just despising it. So I park closer I, I park on the street by the bus stop and my coworker parks right in front of the 7-eleven so there's little to no space so i'm like ah oh, man i gotta drag these these totes like across the parking lot and so i was helping him out because he was severely disorganized and as i was helping him out i notice that he's playing a worship song yeah he's playing a worship song and i'm like oh this guy this guy must be a believer I'm just like jamming out in my own head. Like I'm just really enjoying this time. A, a time that would be a time of convenience or a time of inconvenience. Yeah. Being in a busy street, helping out, especially like going on a rescue. You're like, dude, I want my day to be over. So I'm just like enjoying him playing this worship music. And then I finish helping out my my coworker and I'm like, oh yeah, all right. I'm going to start my break. And so I go in, uh, take the money out get a few snacks and I walk back out and I see this construction worker standing with him. And I look at the guy who, who, uh, who's playing the guitar and I'm like, Hey, were you playing the goodness of God? 
And this construction worker looks at me and is like, oh, no way, man, you too? And we just have this moment where we start fellowshipping, crying together, and just praising God for that that divine, what our pastor calls a divine appointment. Because at such a level of inconvenience that place was to me, God met me there. And he he allowed us to share a moment in a time that was most helpful to us. Yeah. And that construction worker, everybody, was Adam Terrazas. Yeah. So that's that was my perspective. And I was I was overjoyed. So overjoyed from that experience that I worked the rest of my shift playing the goodness of God on repeat. Yeah. And I was crying, I prayed, and I, I couldn't I couldn't wait to come home to my wife and tell her about what happened. So that was my perspective. Yeah. And I want to I want to hear I want to hear your perspective because obviously like I was driving for Amazon. I was it was during my work day and it was that place was super inconvenient to me, but God humbled me and reminded me like no, I'm in control. Yeah. Even through your inconvenient work day. Yeah. I think it's cool that we're finally getting to talk about this cuz I know we've uh We've shared this story. A We've lot. shared this story um, with people at church, at Bible study, but it's been kind of bits and pieces, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's kind of cool. I haven't heard your full perspective on it because obviously I think about it a lot. Uh, I think that was just about almost nine months ago, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost a date nine months ago, and um, my life really changed after that moment. Um, it was. Uh, kind of a point in time where I started to see God unfold uh, what would I, w- I would describe as more than coincidence, and that's where I, I, I now use the, the phrase divine appointments. It was like one divine appointment after another. Mm-hmm. And so that, that moment at 7-Eleven uh, was really significant for me, um, and I believe that God used you, Chris, as uh, His tool. Uh, to get me on the path that I'm now headed, and that is just I'm all in for Jesus, and I, I'm I'm following the Lord, and it's there's nothing better. I've never felt this kind of joy uh, in my life, and I've never I never thought there would be hope of restoration um, to this extent, and it really surpasses my understanding. So a little bit of background for me and why that was so significant is I actually accepted the Lord at a Young Life camp when I was 14 years old. Um, genuinely, I was in need of a Savior, and um, I had taken some some pills, some drugs on the way up to Young Life camp, and I had never been away from home before, so me and my buddies thought this would be an awesome time to get away from the accountability of our parents and and do as we please, mm-hmm. and as you know, uh, from an unbelieving perspective, just constantly in search of uh, pleasure, uh, fulfilling the, these fleshly desires to feel something more than uh, this depression, you know that that I felt as a kid. You know, I, I struggled a lot with depression. I, I was. Now, I had good parents, um, but I was I was held to a very high standard. My dad was hard on me, and so I always felt this pressure and this weight, and I couldn't get away. So I turned to kind of dabbling into drugs, hanging out with the wrong the wrong crowd. You know, pretty typical story. So um, I'm on I'm on on the bus uh, on the way to Young Life, and 
I just lose it. I almost overdosed um, on on Xanax bars, uh, Xanax pills. On your way to this? On the way to Christian camp. Wow. And so um, there I was, you know, uh, acting a fool on the bus in front of everybody who's going to hear about the gospel. And so needless to say, it was pretty embarrassing. Um, and there's also a no tolerance rule for Young Life uh, at the time is what I heard. So if you you get sent back, you like your parents have to to drive all the way up to Sacramento, which was like a six hour drive, maybe maybe more, and come get you. And thankfully, um, by God's grace, the Young Life director's wife, uh, Stephanie Koenig, she called my parents and said, you know, typically we would it's mandatory for us to send him back, but we think this is the best place that he can be, hearing about Jesus. And so. Um, also, by God's grace, I didn't find out that my parents knew about what I had done the entire week until I was on the bus ride back. So that week, I actually ended up accepting Jesus. I heard, I heard the gospel one night, and we got to go sit out uh, and just look at the sky. And I had never seen the stars so clearly, and I just remember thinking, wow, this is absolutely um, true. You know, there is a God. I've known that. I've, I've, I've felt that. I just never was told about who Jesus Christ was growing up. I, w- I remember going up to my counselor and said, can you help me accept Jesus into my life? And um, I do remember—not that it, it always happens this way, um, but I do remember feeling this sense of elevation when I accepted the Lord into my life, and I feel as though I was like I was floating, you know, uh, above myself. And um, I just, I just felt such freedom. When I went home, I was pretty fearful of my own father because he was hard on me, and he had a brother who struggled with with drugs, and I just remember him speaking so negatively of it, and I just knew my dad was going to discipline me, and I was scared for a moment. And when I finally got home, um, all I remember saying to my parents was, I said, not that I don't care, but you could, you could lock me in my closet for as long as you desire, I said, but for some reason I feel okay because I have Jesus in my life. And I remember trying, I said this and I just was so convicted. I was like, you could put me in a box right now and I, I know the Lord and like I have this hope. So that was the most amazing thing that had ever happened to me. And um, uh, kind of fast forwarding, I walked with the Lord throughout high school I seeked mentorship. I lacked it in some sense. I would go to Bible study, but uh, didn't really have. I didn't really have the kind of uh, discipleship or, or leadership that we have here at uh, Calvary Chapel, Caneo Valley. I mean, you guys have high school ministry, and those kids are getting fed, and it's so awesome. Um, so I ended up kind of falling back into uh, my depression. I was I was really competitive baseball player, and I played for a scout ball team, and I really. Uh, wanted to get recruited by a D1 school. Uh, I wouldn't settle for anything less. I thought, you know, my pride, I, I was like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy, you know what I mean? Like, and um, so when I didn't get any, any looks for that, I decided to throw away my baseball career, and I said, you know, I'm just going gonna to join the Marine Corps. I had a, buddy, a couple of buddies who were joining the military. They were joining the Marines. And I said, I, I pretty much uh, uh, assumed the, the standpoint of I'm going to go serve the Marines and become a martyr for my country because if I, I don't really care to live much anymore, I, I don't really see the point. I don't care to die. 
and I'd like to do it with some honor in the most noble way I could possibly do it, which also looking back, I could see it. There's an amount of pride to that too. So I was striving to become somebody. I was striving to uh, gain some sense of self-worth. Uh, and as I went to boot camp, I was actually a prayer leader at boot camp, which was cool. I was still following the Lord. Uh, I'd get the guys together and we'd pray. Um, but as anybody who's been in the military knows, it's a very, it's a pretty ungodly place to be. I don't say that to knock uh, the people who serve our country. Um, it's a very noble thing to do, and you know we treat our veterans like pretty pretty awesome here in the United States. And I've been appreciative of of that. But um, you know it's just a place that needs the Lord. Like mm -hmm. the churches need to be built up. People need to be hearing the gospel. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people like me who have been misguided, or their sense of um, worth is all like self self-driven, you know, and prideful. And so I backslid a lot when I joined the Marine Corps, and uh, I tried to get plugged into a church, and I just remember it being so dry. And at this point, I had left my church family back uh, here in Thousand Oaks, and and then eventually I said, I'm just going to stop going to church. I, I just will put this on the back burner for the next five years. And, um, you know, like the, like the Bible tells us, when we don't fellowship and we're not getting fed, you know, there just creates that distance. We start to fall into sin. We're not held accountable. And that's what happened to me. And um, I began to drink. You know, I would, um, my language was super loose, super offensive, just doing the most in that regard. And uh, I really suffered um, because what happened to me when I was 14 years old is I accepted the Lord into my life. And Anybody who's a, a believer and who gen genuinely has the Holy Spirit in their life, sin is not fun because there's there's conviction. Mm -hmm. Even when you walk away, uh, start to start to walk away from the Lord, and and you're not um, you're not communicating with Him in prayer, and you're not you're not living in the Word and reading His Word. There is something that's very convicting, and so I was always trying to f uh, seek this pleasure that other people seem to be having so much fun uh, living in this sin, and for me it was like man, I just feel so convicted. So it was like, it was like I was, uh, I was putting this torment on myself, but still couldn't get away from the ways of this world. I was entangled in it. So I ended up uh, separating from the military in 2019, and we're getting closer to the 7-Eleven interaction. Mm -hmm. I got out of the military in 2019 and um, began working a, a security job I just wanted to relax. I just remember being like held to such a high standard. I just couldn't wait to relax. And now, you know, knowing that was the biggest mistake, you know, there is no, there is no break, you know, we have to keep going in life. We have to press on and the job never stops. But I, I just decided to, to relax and uh, get in this kind of uh, complacent place in my life. And so I was seeking, I was seeking to fulfill my my empty void in my heart through uh, some kind of career, some kind of status. I even tried to be a financial advisor and um, tried to make a lot of money. And I, I was just been told all these things like, oh, get, get security, get life insurance, get like this, this will set you up and make you happy. And it's like, no matter what I chased, I couldn't get enough. And so I just felt myself, uh, falling deeper into this depression and on top of that my dad has been ever since I accepted the Lord when I was 14 my dad has been struggling with his health like he has uh, type 2 diabetes and 
he's getting uh, loss of vision and he's had he had like 16 surgeries on his ankle and it was just causing him to be extremely disabled he got laid off of work and so he wasn't uh, being stimulated mentally and he started having a lot of like mental illness uh, just from being isolated and, and his injury and, and being in denial and so my dad really ended up in a place where he was in denial of his state and and just not helping himself. And so he got increasingly sick as the years got, went on. Uh, and I remember coming back from the military just desiring to be with my dad because I know he was sick and I, I love, love my dad, you know. He ended up getting his leg amputated. He got a septic infection in his foot and he almost died. Uh, and I remember I came home and left San Diego where I was doing another security job. And uh, I started caretaking for my dad because he just needed help. I remember a, a home care nurse said, uh, we need, my dad was so stubborn, he, he didn't, wouldn't even want to call the ambulance. Like, he wouldn't do it. And uh, the home care nurse took me outside and said, we need to call this ambulance on your dad without his consent because if we don't, he's going to die. And he started having, like, these uh, just, like, convulsions in his body. And, and yeah, sepsis, sepsis is uh, an infection that can go from an infected wound, open wound, which he had on his foot, uh, and he has neuropathy, which is no poor circulation in his leg. And uh, sepsis is something that will carry through your bloodstream all the way up to your heart and can kill you. A lot of people have died. Going through that with my dad and caretaking him post his surgery um, put a lot of strain on our relationship. And um, ultimately, I just wasn't w- walking with the Lord. And I, I, I could not handle the, the burden that felt what I felt was placed on me. And uh, I wanted to be there for my dad, and I just didn't have the strength to carry him and myself. At the same time, after caretaking for him, we uh, we kind of got into uh, this big blowout argument, and uh, he kicked me out of the house that I had grown up in because I was staying there to caretake him, caretake for him. And I started living with uh, a Marine buddy's uh, father-in-law who owned a construction company. I had been working for this construction company for about six months. What I hadn't mentioned yet is that during this time post-military is I had started smoking weed and picked up a drinking habit as well on the job site and construction. Those guys drink like every day religiously. And so I drink it like water. They drink it like water. And and all of a sudden I was like having a couple beers with these guys. And then I started drinking like almost five to six beers every day, like Mm -hmm. on the job smoking and, and, and getting high almost wasn't even getting high anymore. It was more like I needed this. It was like a sedative for my, my anxiousness, my depression. And so I was living in this state of like using substances to anesthetize my depression and to be happy. And I was living on it like it was food, like it was water, like it was what I should should have been doing with the God's word, you know, that sustains us. I was using this substance that was just killing me, really, mentally and, and physically. And on this um, particular day at 7-Eleven, I had felt in the, the, the couple weeks prior, like God was started tugging on my heart. I met a guy at my construction site. We started talking about the Lord, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really talked to somebody about the Lord in a really long time, like not the way, like, we were like, he was fired up and I'm like kind of living vicariously through his energy because I'm like, yeah, like I once knew the Lord like that, you know, and it was getting me fired up. And I remember we went on a lunch break and, um, 
he was reading out of Philippians, where it says, he who began a good work in you will finish it until, until the day of Christ Jesus. And I, I thought to myself, that's me. You know, like, I got the Holy Spirit. Like, God hasn't left me. Like, he's not going to give up on me. And I, I started to feel him tug at my heart. And so I started bringing my Bible to work. And I started pulling it out at lunchtime and, like, reading the Bible to these guys. And they thought I was, like, going crazy, you know. So on this particular day at 7-Eleven was, like, I just felt so convicted. I need to stop. You know, like, I felt the Lord, like, I, I, I tried to smoke and I tried to drink. And I could not. I tried to, and it actually made me feel worse to the point where I, um, I can't explain this, but it was like the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, you're done. It made me feel worse to the point where I knew it was like, it was the Lord. Like it had to be, mm-hmm. um, because I had tried to stop this on my own accord. I had, uh, talked my, I was the, I'll start tomorrow guy, mm-hmm. like for three years straight. And, uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Like it never was going to happen on my own accord. So I felt this strong pull from the Lord. So the day that I met you at 7-Eleven was the first day I was sober, and I had made it to noon. And I was, like, fighting, like, minute by minute, not wanting to use and drink. It just felt like I was beginning something that I didn't feel like I could sustain again because I had uh, not followed through so many times. I had talked about it and failed so many times, and I was just like, why am I even trying this? And yet I felt as if I was stuck in this position because the Lord would not allow me to enjoy it anymore. And so I met this guy outside the 7-Eleven who was playing guitar, and he starts playing worship music. I'm like, okay, not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Could be, okay. but... It could be. At this point, it, it was like... A lot. a lot of people... Yeah, could be. No worship music. I say not a coincidence because that's where I stand now. But at the time, you're right. I was like, coincidence, weird. Like, this is all um, piecing together, like, very timely. And then you walk up, and then there was three. And I just looked at you guys, and I thought to myself... Actually, I remember saying this out loud. I said, dude, the Holy Spirit is here. And I don't know why I said that. I just knew it because I looked at you and there was like, you know how they would like uh, describe like uh, the, what is it called? The Shekinah Shekinah glory. glory. Like that's what I saw like in you. It was just so clear that there was something happening between the three of us. And I even remember, I may have said this, but I definitely thought it like where two or more are gathered, he is with us. Mm -hmm. And like those were scriptures that were coming to my head that I hadn't said nor thought about in a very, very long time, and these were coming into my mind. And so, yeah, that's that brings me up to the 7-Eleven story, and I've been talking for quite some time. I have, I have, <laughs> I have a lot more of like uh, the last eight months of how I've gotten up to where I am now. But I'll, I'll yeah. leave some space there for no, you. No, that was that was wonderful, man. Definitely started getting choked up in a few moments there because. A few, a few. There were scriptures that would pop up into my mind while we were there for those few minutes as well. One particular was like, "God will gather from every tribe, tongue, and nation." Mm. And it was me, you, and then this guy named Niles, you know, who was a very talented musician. Yeah. And I just couldn't help think about how God places people. Like that was 
the prime example of God providing himself through other people. Yeah. And for each of us, because I remember Niles was getting very emotional as well. Mm. And we were just there sharing that moment. And to the outside world, that seems completely random. Here's a co- here's an, a, a random Amazon driver, a construction worker that was working across the street. And then what appeared to be, I don't think he's home. I, I don't think he was homeless, but it would appear to be a homeless guy just, just playing his guitar and singing outside of a 7-Eleven. Yeah. And it was in, in the moment like that where I was like, okay, God, I have been saved for several years now. And there have been many times where I have avoided specifically situations like this, where mm. I just keep my mouth shut. I just kind of tip my hat to the person singing or talking at me from outside of a liquor store. And it's just like, put my head down and don't say anything. Yeah. Right. This I see this construction worker talking to this guy and I'm like, all right, you know, they're they're having their own thing. I'm going to go back to my van and continue my work day. Yeah. But as believers, we are called to be more, to say more and to and to act more like Jesus. And it was a moment like that where God fueled my faith in such a way that I needed to to share the good news more often. Mm-hmm. Even if it was someone, even if it was with two guys who had already had experiences with him, mm. because that was exactly what you needed. And I'm, I'm sure it really encouraged and ministered to Niles as well. But for you, it was it was a it was an example of God calling you, of pulling you yeah. back into the fold. And for me, it was like, hey, this is what is at stake. This is this is this is the type of work that I've called you to do. And obviously, like it's never it's not always gonna be like that where it's some elaborate, you know, you share the gospel one time and you know, one person gets saved and yeah. Then, yeah. you know, it trickles down the line. But it was in those moments for me, God was telling me, hey, it, these are the types of things that I'm working through, so be faithful with the message that I've given you Yeah. because I saved you for a purpose. I Oh, I love this saying. It's, I saved you on purpose for a purpose. Yeah, and, I like that. And it reminds me, like as I'm reflecting on that now, it reminds me of something that your mom told me a few a couple months ago where she hadn't really had the opportunity to do this but she she pulled me aside after church one day and was like hey chris can i can i just share something with you and i was like yeah sure and she was like thank you so much for saying what you said and for doing what you did because you had a part in saving my son's life yeah and it was it humbled me <laughs> yeah I, I I hugged her and I was Big like, time. praise God. Yeah. Like, this is one of the few times, and I fail a lot at taking opportunities to share the good news. And I think that's why God allowed me to have that type of experience to never be afraid. No matter who's listening, to never be afraid, even if it's an audience of family members, mm. to never be afraid of of sharing the good news that Jesus came to die for sinners. Amen. I wanted to spend that time reflecting on that because like you said, many people have heard that story, but they've heard it in bits and pieces. Mm. I've said my side 
I have said what you responded with, and I've shared that, you know, my perspective on the story and you have as well. But now we have this time where we get to just flesh out how God used that to minister to both of us in a time of need. Yeah. And that, that one instance, that one instance, that one interaction fueled what God was going to do in, in some of the people in our lives. Yeah. It, it, it fueled what God was going to do or what was what he was planning from the beginning all along, what he was going to do in some of the the lives of the people that are closest to us right now. Yeah. And that's just, it's just so encouraging. You know, you just, you, you just invited two people to church today and they came, right? And then you, you, you introduced me. It was such a cool moment because you introduced me to them and, and they said, hey, I'm here because of him. Yeah, uh, I said, I said, yeah, I'm here because of Chris. Yeah, you said, said I'm here, but no. I'm, I'm here because of Chris. And then they were like, oh, I'm, we're here because of you. Yeah. Like, we're here because of Adam. And I was like, for me, I looked at, I looked at my wife, Carolyn, and I was like, this is so cool. Like, yeah. this is so humbling. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to, like, put myself on a pedestal, but I'm just saying that so that if anyone who's listening to this is discouraged or feels weak or feels like they don't have the ability to share the good news and to see any fruit come from it. Yeah. If you do it long enough, you'll see it yeah, come to fruition. For sure. Even even if it doesn't happen right then and there, yeah. it'll happen eventually. Yeah. And, and the, that was the that, best part too about that was like, then you could actually say, well, well actually you're here because of Chris, you know, because like it's, and, and let's take it a step for, further. We're actually here because of the Lord, mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. the Lord, you know, and, uh, but it's cool because the Lord uses us like, like just like every word that we speak goes into eternity has an effect, which has an effect on on one person and then another. So do our actions, mm-hmm. and so like your action, like you being obedient and open to the Lord's prompting to be like, hey, I could I could have easily said like I'm not going to go talk to him. You did, and it had repercussions, and so that obviously has worked in the effect of lives uh, through how the Lord is now using me. So like, mm-hmm. it's cool to see that like your your single act of faithfulness and obedience to God has this just repercussion that will ripple into eternity. At a time that was most inconvenient for me. Yeah, exactly. Like typical work day. You could have slowed your pace yeah. uh, so that you didn't have to do extra work that day. Yep. We just wanted to share that with you because we, that's how we met. That's how we're here today. And we pray that it is, a, it is an encouragement and an empowerment to, for you to preach the gospel, to do exactly what you've been commanded to do, right? And so we're commanded to do a lot of things, commanded to do a lot of things that we don't like. And this was a prime example of that. For, specifically from my perspective, this is something that I, it was the most inconvenient time for me, and it was a busy intersection. I wanted to get out of there to enjoy my lunch in the shade next to really nice houses in Sherman Oaks and just continue going through my day yeah. and not have to go go rescue anyone else. Yeah. So I was going to milk it. Um, but oftentimes, Jesus, even in Scripture, Jesus addresses 
what we refuse to let go of so that we may receive him as he has presented himself in scripture and how he has he has been sent by the father to die so that we may experience him in to the fullest yeah right and so i'll use that as a segue to go into today's hard saying where jesus says to a rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions yeah. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to read the the passage of the rich young ruler out of Matthew 19 and then we'll we'll dissect it. So Matthew 19 starting at verse 16. It says, "And someone came to him and said, "Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life?" And he said to him, "Why are you asking me?" So Jesus responds and says, "Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments." Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete or perfect, depending on your translation, go and sell your possessions, all of your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the reason the reason I asked you to give us insight on this particular hard saying of Jesus is because you just recently went through an experience where I was like, man, that's that's bold. And it reminded me of this hard saying i want to hear like your side of it because i heard it through the grapevine and then we talked about it a little bit as well so like you don't have to mention any names but um what what, what was that experience like for you yeah so um I, I gave i gave away my truck um but it was more it was more than just my truck after i had met you at Seven Eleven, it just sparked and gave me even more confidence about what the Lord was beginning to do in my life. And so it got me through that day. And then I got through day two and day three. And um, what was um, the most difficult thing was you can consider it, uh, there was an amount of with withdrawal that was going on from not drinking or smoking weed, not that, uh, not that marijuana is really a physical... <laughs> as physical of an addiction mm -hmm. as like narcotics would be. But I also, I did quit nicotine as well. I've been uh, chewing tobacco for like 10 years. So, um, I mean, I stopped it all at once. So it was just pretty gnarly. And so I started uh, going through, and this is where it gets gray, so I don't want to over-spiritualize anything. But I had began to go, go through I'm sure an amount of withdrawal from substances, but what I would really describe was I started going through some pretty heavy convictions after I started to gain clarity, um, but before that I was going through pretty heavy spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. As far as I've uh, learned and been studying in the scripture and, and through other people's experiences is when the Lord begins to call you out of bondage and and the enemy no longer has uh, that hold over you, he's going to do everything he can to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. 
And so the way it plays out in my head is like, is like Satan was making his final stand and throwing all his darts at me at once. And I was going through a lot of like mental torment. I felt like I was uh, like crawling out of my skin. Like I couldn't think straight. I was being fed like lies and thoughts that were not my own. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was having uh, dreams of war and warfare, and I was having um, this unusual sense of uh, demonic uh, presence. I wouldn't. Even, at one point, I uh, when I started coming to Calvary Chapel, like I was like living in my car uh, by choice, my truck by choice, because had I tried to stay in the house I was staying at the time, or even at my parents' house where I grew up, um, I just felt like this demonic presence was in and around me uh, all the time, and I thought I was kind of going insane. But what was interesting is I had, luckily I knew my boss at the construction site, and um, he knew what I was going through, and I had been vulnerable and shared with him, and I started preaching the gospel, which he didn't understand at the time, (laughs) Uh, but I was like, this is the Lord, you know, like just... (laughs) Kind of crazy to him, but I was like, I, I knew for sure. And uh, so he, I was not working, and I was just pretty much coming to every church function there was, like overcomers on Saturday, church on Sunday, church on Thursday, Bible study on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I wasn't doing that, I wasn't working, so I was spending all day with my Bible open. I was spending all day rewriting. I play my guitar and write Christian music. I was rewriting—I write Christian music now— I was rewriting all of my old secular songs into worship songs. So I was like pretty much like couldn't do anything else but just meditate on God's word. Otherwise, I felt like I felt like I couldn't survive just in my own body, in my own mind. So a lot of spiritual warfare uh from that aspect. And so uh what had happened is I started becoming so involved in the church uh, that I felt like I was living out in Sun Valley at the time, and I was like, I need to live in Thousand Oaks because I'm driving and spending all this money I don't have. Uh, that's not going to sustain me for very long, especially if I'm not working, like to drive out to Thousand Oaks like multiple times a week. It's a lot of gas. And so I was like, I'm like praying for an opportunity to work in Thousand Oaks. And I actually pretty quickly got offered this pool job. Um, and it, it all seemed to be like kind of perfect. But yeah, something was inclining me to give this job to somebody who I knew was in need. Somebody who I knew was like going to be out of work, had a family. This is a kind of a point here while I was battling through the spiritual warfare where I was full of good intentions. And I also felt as though God was leading me to an extent in terms of really discerning what the Holy Spirit is doing. I kind of mix them with my good intentions. So I say that to say that where I am now, I know that the Lord uses all things for his good and, and perfect purpose and will and, and plan. Um, and he had plans for my life. And so I'm right where I need to be. But at this point in time, I just, along with uh, giving away this job, um, there was logistically, there was some uh, issues where he needed a truck for this pool job. And I was like, pretty quickly, uh, like, okay, we'll just trade cars. You you get my truck, I'll get your your Chevy Cruze, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, and then he's like, 
can we just like get to, and I was like ready to just dish it off, you know, probably not the wisest thing, but you know, I just felt, I was just like, this was all happening so fast and so heavy to me. And um, we got lunch and this was actually right before you had preached on the book of Philippians. Mm -hmm. That Thursday we had gotten lunch and he said, well, I, I'm not going to be able to give you this car because he needed it for his family, which mm -hmm. is understandable. Yeah. And um, my immediate response was like, ooh, well, that, that's not going to work. And then almost just as fast as that answer came to me, I was like, I got to give you the truck anyway. Mm -hmm. This was like so like the impulse to like to call you. I, I don't know why it was you that I, I barely even knew this person. And yet I knew a little bit about their story. And so I was like, well, you can have the truck anyway. And so then he was kind of confused. I was like, what did I just say? And uh, so then we got in our cars and came in and watched you uh, uh, preach the word out of Philippians, which was cool to me too because the whole reason that I had, the whole thing that sp sparked was me reading out of the book of Philippians mm -hmm. uh, with this gentleman at work. And so as I was driving to to uh, church, I was like, what did I just do? All my stuff's in Sun Valley. I have no way to commute. Like, I don't have a job, and I, I'm i not working, and I definitely can't have a job if I don't have a car. And, and none of it made sense. Like, why did I just do that? And uh, what had happened is is this this passage here. You know, just as clearly as, as Jesus told this man, like, you need to get rid of your possessions, uh, essentially saying, I need to become the number one priority in your life, uh, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. And I believe what, what was clearly happening to me was I had made idols out of the possessions in my life, and it was changing the course in which I lived. Um, and I, I felt as though I couldn't get rid of certain things. I had this uh, attachment to things. And just looking back now, it was as if the Lord was saying, you can't follow me the way I intended uh, you to follow me unless you give these things up uh, and make me the number one priority in your life. So whether or not I understood why I was doing that, I knew that I needed to uh, separate from these things. And so uh, along with the truck, um, I started to give away like all my things, things that I like, I thought I loved at the time and started giving to the shelters. And I, I remember like, what is this urge for me to get rid of my things? Like I couldn't get past it. Like I just needed to get rid of it. And it felt as though the chains were being broken off of me mm -hmm. when I was getting rid of this stuff. And then I actually looked up the passage. I don't know if like when I was younger in high school, I did a lot of Bible study then, and I could have read the scripture and it came to mind, or the Holy Spirit just laid it. I, I was like, I I knew about this this passage mm -hmm. somewhere. It's pretty pretty popular, well known. Okay, yeah. So it, it just like, so I looked up the passage that said give to the poor. So I was like, I started bringing my stuff to shelters, and uh, shortly after, I ended up at the Ventura County Rescue Mission, a life recovery program. And so I had been sober now for five weeks, grinding through it, coming to church and uh, getting to see you, which was was awesome, and uh, fellowshipping with you. Um, by the time I got to the rescue mission, I had pretty much given away most of my things. And whatever I couldn't in the amount of time I had allotted, uh, 
I, I gave to Pastor Josh to just put in his attic. It got to the point where I had thrown away like every major accomplishment and certificate and memorabilia that I got from the Marine Corps, which were like my most prized possessions. Mm -hmm. Even now, like it kind of like irks me when I think like, oh my gosh, like I threw away all those things. Like, um, and then I just am just reminded of God's faithfulness and where he's brought me to this point. And I, I lose my, my desire to have those things. So when you, earlier when you mentioned that you had a very strong tie to your possessions, right? Yeah. How, in what way were those things, right? Because when, when someone says, when someone refers to possessions, it's usually referring to like a car, a house, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, a jet ski, like things that are seen to the majority of like, I guess the middle class as luxuries, mm -hmm. right? Why your military memorabilia? Why did you consider that something that should be done away with? Like, mm -hmm. I'm just curious, like, why, how did that fall into that category? That's a really good question. Did it, was it something where it reminded you of a past life and you were like, now nah, I'm just going to get rid of it because I don't want to be reminded of it? Yeah, there was an amount of that, a big, a big portion of it was that. Um, it reminded me of my, my past uh, my sin. Mm -hmm. I, I felt unclean. I think the biggest part of it was that all these accomplishments that I had accomplished, if you will, mm -hmm. all these schools, um, all these certificates, I put my identity into them and I hung my hat on them as if like, because I've done this, I've done it all. Like I've done all that I I really need to accomplish. I could ri I could ride, yeah. I could skate my way through the rest of life and be like I did this. Mm -hmm. And um, what I realized was, I I came to a point where I I never felt so low, even though I had become this guy and done this or that. And so, it became a point of like pride, mm -hmm. like major pride, and I was so disgusted uh, at the time I was so disgusted with myself and I was so like I didn't want to sin and I, I didn't want to be reminded of my sin I was so for the Lord and um, yeah I needed to get rid of what what I felt was unclean what was the strongholds that that would be the best way to put it these were strongholds in my life that I had to break that was a really good question because that it's I like was, why I was did curious. you so I'm like why because like I said, the the possessions, when you think of possessions, especially with someone who's rich, right? The rich yeah. young ruler. Yeah. You think of a of a first century king, you know, gold, yeah, probably women, like all of these possessions, and he's commanded to sell them all and then give whatever he give whatever he gets from selling all those things and give that to the poor. Yeah. So it's not so much like you need to do away with all of your yeah. your things. You need to do away with all of the wealth that you get from selling those things and then give it to the poor. And not only that, yeah. follow me. Yeah. It was like that was hindering him from fully embracing yeah. being perfect, right? Because he says being perfect and 
receiving eternal life because that is essentially the question that he's asking and that's the question that jesus is answering yeah these things are hindering you from not only following me but having eternal life through following me yep and so is that why you saw those things as i i guess you needed to do away with them because they reminded you of of this vain aspiration yeah to feel successful in life. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, and, and to, I th- to gain that eternal life. Totally. So, so to speak. Totally. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly what, what Jesus was telling that man, is that you your status and your identity is wrapped up in your riches. And if you took all that away, who are you? You know? And it's like, I'm a child of the Most High God, and and all my riches are in heaven, and I'm not living for this world. You know what I mean? And something that I... I was reading, and I actually took a few notes because if I didn't, I would have forgot. But a couple of things I wrote down was, you know, our possessions can possess us, and so it's not to say that uh, having great wealth, uh, the fact that poverty doesn't produce automatic spirituality, and that's not this call. This particular call from the Lord to get rid of your possessions isn't for everyone, because in Scripture we see a lot of great wealthy men like Abraham, David, Solomon. Nicodemus, Joseph, right? Like, like riches can be, um, but their possessions didn't possess them, or they didn't in the end. Uh, we see that a little bit with Solomon, um, but it's not that. It's not that. Like, like if you want what I got, and what I got is Jesus, and, and so that's how, that's why I say, if you want what I got, what I got is good because it's, what I have is eternal now. And, and that's by God's grace. But it's like, if you want to try to emulate somebody's walk with the Lord, it's like, it's not always the same. You know, it's like, if you go sell all your things, that's not going to, like, uh, instantly give you some form of godliness or anything like that. But for me, and for many, I see this, you know, the, the love of money is, is, is the root of all kinds of evil. It's like, we, be, we make idols out of things that we possess and when it becomes, when it comes to the point where, yeah, when it stands between you and the Lord, then uh, there's a there's a choice to be made. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and give us an uh, an impulse to to get rid of those things because they're holding us back. And I think about this too. Like I used to be the guy who had like it's like oh my great my grandfather gave me this jacket. This jacket's so important to me, mm-hmm. right? And like I think we still like like most of us have that thing, right? It's like I love this jacket, or I love this hat, like, or and, and say your your grandfather passed, like it becomes even more important to you. But then what? You're walking down the street one night, and there's a kid, or or any person who is cold, and they're gonna be sleeping on the street that night, and you're going home to your warm bed, mm-hmm. and you got grandpa's jacket on. And this is a verse I I wanted to read. It's in James, James 2.15. It says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also by faith. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so I knew that for me to serve the Lord, I couldn't be attached to things anymore. And that was a radical change. But I mean, I got rid of 
everything down to the socks Mm. because I knew that from this point on, whatever I got was blessed, was, was a blessing that God has given me and provided for me. Um, but I felt to answer your question full, I felt unclean and I felt like those were strongholds that I needed to get rid of. And the blessing that's come after it is indescribable. So when you mentioned how people will hold on to, I, I would call them mementos of legacy. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, oh, this is your great grandfather's jacket or your great grandmother's ring. Right. Yeah. Obviously, those things are very valuable, but we have to think about how that ties into who Jesus is answering here. Mm. Right. He's a rich, young ruler. Yeah. Rulers didn't just acquire wealth right away. Mm. It was very rare, especially in that time. He more than likely inherited it. So not only was Jesus saying, sell all of your things, he was essentially saying, you have to begin a whole new legacy. Yeah. All of that stuff that you inherited, you have to be, it has to be done away with and receive the inheritance that you will receive based off of my perfect obedience. Yeah. The inheritance that you have as being an adopted son of the Most High God. Yeah. And I think that was what he didn't really want to give up. Yeah. Because the passage says that in verse 22, it says, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. This this man, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. A rich ruler does not obtain his possessions, but on accident, on a whim, by coincidence. You can probably tell who's going to be rich based off of who that person's uh, family or parents are. Yeah. And so for him, it was like, how could I, how could I give all of these things away? Yeah. There's been so much history, so much family ties to what I have here, and this man, this rabbi, is asking me to sell all of it, give that wealth that I get from selling it away, and to follow him to completely dismiss my entire life that I once valued or that I do value. But, you know, he says, it says, the scripture says that he went away grieving after Jesus told him that. Yeah. And with what you've said so far, it just ties in. I'm just so grateful to have had you on this particular episode because it, it was your story tied to it in so many different ways that I would would have never anticipated or understood before having this conversation mm, and yeah. i'm grateful so it's good stuff so as before we close out this episode we got to get to the heart of it as to why we're here in the first place mm. so for anyone listening who doesn't know jesus who refuses to quote unquote like sell all of his or her possessions realize that they have treasures in heaven and follow this Messiah, what would you say to them? What news would you present to them? The biggest thing that I have um, come to understand with the help of the Holy Spirit and leaving the things that were strongholds in my life, such as my possessions, that when you let go of those things and you trust in a God you cannot see, and you'd like to believe, but you don't see him actively working in your life. God says that um, you see me, but 
but blessed are those who, who do not see me and believe. So there's a, God promises a blessing uh, for those who walk by faith, um, even though they don't see him at this point in time. And I would say that to know God's word and to follow the Lord, he has shown time, time and time again um, throughout history uh, that he is faithful to provide all that we need, uh, exceedingly and abundantly above um, anything we could ask for. And he knows the true desires of our heart. One thing I do know is that we don't actually know the true desire of our heart. We have a lot of feelings and emotions of what we want now, but God knows the plans that he has for us, and they are, they are great plans. And so I would say uh, to anybody who doesn't believe, and even to those who do believe, um, who are strong in their faith um, and, and becoming increasingly stronger, to, to those who uh, once believed and walked with the Lord closely and have backslidden, uh, there's hope. And God is a, he's faithful. Uh, he's faithful to his promises. And um, I would say, learn and understand God's word, because as you do that, you understand him better and pray and seek him through prayer because he hears those prayers and everything according, uh, every prayer according to his will, uh, he will answer. And sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's a wait, but he will answer it. And uh, one day when we get to heaven um, and we look back on everything that's happened, every good thing, every uh, really tough and trying thing, we're going to look back and say, I would not change one single thing because what you did with my life, Lord, was perfect. And that is a cool thing to think about. Uh, I want everybody else to uh, love him and know him the way that I've gotten to know him uh, because I know that uh, when people give their life uh, and surrender their life to Jesus, everything changes. And... Um, there's a joy and a peace uh, that surpasses all understanding. Amen. It has been an absolute joy, brother, to have you on to help us unpack this hard saying of Jesus and presenting such a beautiful image of who and what Jesus calls us to be. And so thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Don't Knock It podcast. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. If you listen on Spotify, make sure you follow and click the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the show if you haven't already. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Christian Mears. Grace and peace, family. Peace.